This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Clagan, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hey, good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett of Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great, Nicole. I'm excited for the program this evening because we are going to talk about a topic and sort of demystify it a little bit. We sure are. I am the privilege to have with us today Jay Reinstein, and he was the former assistant manager for the city of Fayetteville, and he um, is going to be talking to us about a very... um, special journey that he's on with early onset Alzheimer's disease. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, Nicole. So glad to be here uh, with you for sure. And it's always an honor to talk to you. I've become one of my favorite people these days. He has a great story and I'm really excited for him to share it with everybody. A very positive attitude as well. So let's talk to us a little bit about your history. So you came all this way up to talk to us from Fayetteville, huh? That is correct. (laughs) correct. And in Fayetteville, what types of things are you responsible for out there? So, uh, you know, I've been with, I was with the city of Fayetteville for five years. And uh, I oversaw transit department, development services, um, our building department, Mm -hmm. also um, community development, Mm -hmm. as well as economic and community development. Awesome. So busy, busy job. Very busy. And then some things changed. Absolutely, absolutely. I think over the last couple of years, uh, I noticed periodically I'd have issues with uh, short-term memory and Mm -hmm. processing information. Had a couple of situations that sort of made me sort of think, hey, something is going on. So um, I did reach out to Duke University, Mm -hmm. and I spoke to uh, uh, Dr. Friedman over in uh, neurology there, and he referred me to a Dr. O'Brien, and they ran some tests got some baseline data mm-hmm. through some neuropsychological testing. And then I came back about uh, nine, 10 months later and they found out that my um, memory had uh, declined about 15%. 15. 15. In nine months. In nine months. Wow. So the concern was what's going on? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no history of Alzheimer's in my family. Mm-hmm. My mother's side, there has been uh, you know, just a, a few cases. So um, after some further testing, Uh, They did a PET scan, and they uh, identified the APOE4 gene, Mm -hmm. which is the Alzheimer's gene. Mm -hmm. And the APOE4 gene, um, after that was identified, some additional tests were run, and they talked about mild cognitive impairment at Mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, um, probably several months later, they said, hey, it's early onset Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like I was uh, punched in the gut. Uh, after hearing that because I have been working very hard my whole life, 25 years in local government. I love being a public servant, serving the people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been a great opportunity and now all of a sudden you get this life-changing announcement and uh, what did it really mean? Wasn't sure what I needed to do and what I was going to do. Mm. So you got the news. Got the news. It rocked your world. Yes. And so when people get that type of news, I think people take one or two paths. They either become very private and start to sort of isolate and try to figure out how they're going to work with something like this, or they decide to take a little bit of a different path that you've taken. Yes. I mean, 
I thought about it, and I thought about the potential implications if I did go public. Sure. Uh, being in a position as an assistant city manager, you're mm-hmm. making critical decisions, mm-hmm. decisions that uh, can impact the community. Dollars are involved. And I thought if I went public, what was that going to mean? But, but more importantly, after talking to my wife, uh, my daughter, uh, I made the decision. I, I felt as though I had built some very good relationships within my organization, and uh, soon after the um, uh, I was diagnosed, I went to our city manager, mm-hmm. Doug Hewitt, and I went to our um, HR director, Barbara Hill, and talked to him and said, what do I do? Um, they said, Jay, if you wanna go public, go public, we'll support you. Mm-hmm. If you want to work on this behind the scenes, we're okay. We wanna do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I decided to go public. You know, my goal, hopefully in life right now, as I see my purpose, is to raise awareness. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew there were going to be those folks out there in the community, also in my organization, that were probably going to second guess it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to say, well, why would you continue to want him leading in an organization, making those decisions? I knew I was going to be up against that. Of course. Um, and while there may been there may have been some folks within the organization mm-hmm. talking behind the scenes, mm-hmm. overwhelmingly from our elected officials, not only at the local level, but a couple of our state senators, uh, our state representatives, and employees embraced it and said, "What can we do?" Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been an amazing journey so far, but it's also been very difficult. Mm-hmm. It's also been very difficult. So, what are some of the things that are most difficult for you today? Um, probably the fact that I am losing my identity um, uh, for 25 years in local government. I loved it. Yeah. I lived and breathed it. When I would walk into a room, people knew me as the assistant city manager. Yeah. Um, now it is, um, so how are you doing, Jay? Mm. What's going on? Yeah. Um, no longer, while I'm on uh, Family Medical Leave Act, FMLA, mm-hmm. through June, uh, I'm no longer leading, developing mm-hmm. employees. Um, it's made it difficult. Mm-hmm. It's made it difficult. I think emotionally I'm drained. Yeah. Uh, I'm going through depression. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying. To, there's a real void in my life mm-hmm. at this point, and it's trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do? I'm 57. Yeah. And I feel like I still have a long life to live, sure. but nothing is promised yep. to anybody. Right, right. Um, but, you know, my doctors have told me that um, there's a 50% chance. It's, it's progressive. Mm-hmm. And three to five years, my life could be dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Or in three to five years, it might be slowing down, but not as uh, it might not be as aggressive. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. And then on top of that, you know, you're you're dealing with, this diagnosis yourself and then you're trying to figure out how do you support your family around this that's got to be hard it is i think one of the um uh, the biggest challenges is for many folks once you get the diagnosis your life changes um but also it's the financial piece Mm. you know fortunately in local government i'm very lucky Mm. i have a pension that's unheard of nowadays (laughs) it is unheard of yeah and um uh with this diagnosis with 24, 25 years in local government, um, if approved by the state board, um, I will go out with 30 years. Mm-hmm. So they will give me an additional five years for full retirement. Mm-hmm. That is really That's wonderful. Huge. It's yeah. huge. And then working with Social Security Administration, mm-hmm. um, again, uh, um, early onset is approved for uh, early retirement and disability. 
if it is approved at the federal level, mm -hmm. then I would get um, my Social Security effective probably in March or April mm -hmm. as if I am 65. Oh, wow. Okay. So those two things are working for me. Mm -hmm. um, so it's something other folks might not have that uh, um, uh, uh, fortunate situation, but uh, I feel lucky at least financially. Definitely. That's that's a, that's an, a definite piece of bless in the mess for it sure. It is. It is. Yeah, and uh, we're so pleased to have Jay Reinstein here in the studio this evening. We're going to continue our conversation with him. We're talking all about his uh, diagnosis of early onset dementia, and we'll continue the conversation right after this. We have plenty more questions that uh, we're excited to, uh, to speak with Jay about, and we thank him so much for coming in. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, you can go online to transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our special guest this evening is Jay Reinstein, and he's sharing the story of uh, being diagnosed, Nicole, with early onset dementia. And um, this is something that we've discussed in the past. And uh, Jay, we really appreciate you coming in. Great to be here. So I would, uh, if you're willing to share kind of some of those early signs, uh, I know you mentioned sort of there was a little bit of the short-term memory loss and, and whatnot, but, you know, sometimes we have people listening that might be wondering about a family member at home and wondering, you know, geez, is this something that I should could be concerned about? I mean, I know I have put the, the orange juice away in the closet before, um, <laughs> and I also have three young children running around my ankles right. at all any given time. And so, so, you know, there are certain things that kind of happen to all of us as a one-off. Off, but then there are certain things that can happen that could be a concern. So what were some of those for you? Yeah, a couple things that jumped out at me. Um, I was at a bagel shop, mm -hmm. my favorite place, and got my bagel and uh, my drink, and I paid for it. I sat down, and about three minutes into my meal, I got back up, went back up to the register, and said, I need to pay you for the meal. Mm. And they said, you paid us already. A little thing. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to a group, uh, what we call um, our, uh, we have these monthly community groups and meetings where we introduce citizens to local government. Mm -hmm. And it was an opportunity, typically being in the manager's office, mm -hmm. I am one that uh, welcomes the, the folks, talk a little bit about local government, the inner workings. And one of the questions was, um, so Mr. Einstein, tell me some of the departments that you supervise. I couldn't remember one. Not only could I not remember, I was very fortunate that our director of uh, corporate communications was in the room. Yep. And what he said was, ah, Jay's having a senior moment, and he announced the, he, he read the groups, or the uh, departments. Found he made he, a little humor out of it. He saved yeah. me. He yeah. didn't know anything yeah. about yeah. my condition at the point. Um, but I've also had stuff, even getting ready in the morning, um, where I can't remember where my undershirts are. Mm. The drawer. You all know you go to that same drawer right. every day. Yep. And I sat and I thought, where are my undershirts? And I think the final story, um, sort of humorous, uh, I was driving home 
uh, I couldn't remember my house. So I passed my house a couple, and I sat in my car for a minute, and I just got myself together. Then I backed up, figured out, pulled in. My neighbor said, ah, my God, I've done that before. (laughs) Forgot where I lived. And I was sort of, I chuckled at it. But for a second. You really didn't know. I was, I really, I, I blanked, I couldn't remember. So little things like that, you know, have popped up. And, and then I think it's, it's a lot of short-term uh, memory stuff, sure. uh, processing information. I'll be in meetings at times, and a uh, question will come up about a subject that I am familiar with. Yeah. Very familiar you know, with. No, inside out. Inside out. And um, someone will ask me a question before we go to a council meeting, and I just, I can't, I can't recall the information. Mm. I can't pull that information right. in. So it's very frustrating to me, and it's also embarrassing. Of course. And I didn't want to get to that point where I started having more of those situations sure. where it became an embarrassment to not only myself but to the organization. Mm. Well, that was, you know, I think a testament to who you are to really recognize those moments and try to, you know, make a decision before things got a lot yeah. worse for you. And, yeah. you know, uh, we often talk about, you know, when in people get an Alzheimer's diagnosis, typically the hardest time um, for the individuals when they first get diagnosed, when they yeah. have that awareness. Yes. And then as the disease progresses, the, the hardest time is for the family when they're watching that person you know, where they were at before really change. And so um, it really, I I really applaud you for remaining so positive and really trying to use what you have going on inside of your brain to help other people. And speaking of which, I know that you're working with the Alzheimer's Association currently and um, raised a lot of money with them. And I think you have a lot of hopes and dreams about, you know, where you see things going with that organization. Absolutely. Well, we were very fortunate. They had the, uh, Walk to End Alzheimer's in September in Fayetteville, and uh, we put a team together, and uh, we had T-shirts made, and it was about 160 employees came out. Wow. We raised over $23,000, making us the number one fundraising team in the state of North Congratulations. Carolina. That's awesome. So I was psyched, and we still have money coming in, and we hope to have, um, by December 31st, about $27,000. Wow. So, um, uh, you know, again, raising awareness. But one of the things that I had talked to um, – my friends over at the Alzheimer's Association about is, again, early onset and a real focus and what can we do to raise awareness and um, ultimately have some support groups for folks that are my age or maybe even a little bit younger. Um, it reminds me, um, after after the uh, Fayetteville Walk to End, I was invited to speak at the uh, Raleigh Walk to End Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, I had about a three-minute speech. Sure. Uh, you know, it was something I really wanted to do. And afterwards, I met a friend at Cameron Village, my friend Julie, and we're having lunch. And uh, a couple approached me. <laughs> they came up to me and they said, uh, uh, we saw you uh, just a little while ago uh, in Raleigh. And it was very inspiring. And I was like, oh, my God. it's That's, that's awesome. so nice, you know. Mm-hmm. I was just really impressed. And, and then... They went on to say that uh, this woman's husband uh, was diagnosed with early onset at 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 54 now, uh, stopped working, mm-hmm. um, stopped sports, uh, and pretty much is home all day watching mm-hmm. television, very isolated. Mm-hmm. And that story just, it nagged at me. And after, after that, I said, you know what, I have to really work with the Alzheimer's Association 
to make that my number one priority, whether it's working with the legislature to raise more dollars. But again, there's 200,000 people in this country with early onset. Mm -hmm. And I know there's, there's 5 million in the country. But I want to make that my primary focus mm -hmm. um, because we're, we're often forgotten. Yeah. Well, and I also think you make a huge impact walking into a room. You're not the face of what people picture. Sure. So sure. to see somebody stricken with this disease during the most vital time of their career yes. is is should really grab some attention of mm -hmm. some of the legislators that have the ability to make some of those impactful decisions. So, um, again, I, I really applaud you for what you're doing. So I know one of the uh, biggest pieces that you're working on is really trying to create support groups for folks with early onset Alzheimer's. Yes. And what do you think, um, I, you know, I'm stereotypically speaking, a lot of men say they don't want to be part of support groups because they feel like it's, right. you know, too social worky, talky, talky, talky. But sure. where do you find the value for being involved with such a group? I think they're, from, from what I read, what I hear, a lot of folks are really isolated. Mm -hmm. And I think to be able to talk to people, men, women, that mm -hmm. are going through the same thing, yep. that are the same age group, mm -hmm. we can share those stories and hopefully build those relationships with people. Mm -hmm. Because when I heard about this individual um, who's 52, diagnosed and now 54, he doesn't do a lot during the day. Right. There's still a lot we can do. Of course. Whether it's going out to dinner, whether it's mm -hmm. playing cards, going to the movies. Repurpose I, it a bit. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And uh, and I'm, I'm having a bit of that myself. I mean, there's a real void in my life sure. while I feel as though I'm, I'm doing pretty well considering mm -hmm. the diagnosis. I also know that things could dramatically change, as I said earlier. So I think the support groups could really benefit folks. Um, and again, um, uh, I just, I just want to be able to sort of help move that process forward. You know, one of the things that I think about in this process is putting myself in the shoes of the spouse. Mm. You know, and I think there would almost be some benefit to almost um, some sort of like a social group where, you know, the individuals with the disease are together with the spouses and everybody can sort of, you know, have that dark humor, laugh at certain things that are, you know, only people going through it can really understand and, and, and find some humor because you have to find humor you in everything. And it doesn't matter you what it is. I know laugh. it's not a funny situation, but the reality of it is. is yeah, my, well, I'll just share something funny. My mother will call me and she'll say, yeah. Hi, honey. How's everything going? And I go, who is this? <laughs> my way to my way to it's, it's sort funny. of sort of cruel. <laughs> no, it's good. But, but you know, I have to laugh at myself. Yeah. And and without without doing that, it's it's um, it would make it too difficult. And and I think you know to your to your point with the support groups with family, mm -hmm. I think it would really add a great deal of value. I have a 23 year old daughter who's yeah. really having a difficult sure. time. But, but my wife more uh more particularly um uh she's struggling she's mm -hmm. having a real difficult time with yeah. depression with uh being afraid not showing what the future not sh not sure what the future holds mm -hmm. and um uh the fact that uh it's the unknown and she is stressed out a lot and um struggling a lot more than i am a lot We're more than i am we're having a fascinating discussion with Jay Reinstein. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Claykett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're switching gears here a little bit, and we're uh, going to re-address a topic that we've talked about a few times, and that's the subject of family care homes. You know, we sure are. We have our amazing guest with us today, Kaylin Piper with the Enclave, and she is the administrator there. She's really brought with us, uh, brought with her some great useful ideas for how you as a caregiver at home can really engage a loved one. Um, You know, oftentimes we get into the monotony when we're at home with a family member and it's just the same old thing day in and day out and you're not really sure how to freshen up that conversation. And I think Kaylin really brought with her some ideas for how to keep that conversation fresh, whether the person has a cognitive impairment or not. So welcome. Well, hello. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So you are going to be talking to us a little bit about reminiscing. Yes, it is real life storytelling. That's awesome. So give us some examples. And you know, my very first job, um, out of college was actually, it was titled Reminiscence Coordinator. <laughs> and so it was a fancy name for activities yes. director, yeah. but, but, but I kind of like that name. It sounded very professional for a 20 like something. Yeah. <laughs> I might use it. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that though. Well, basically, like I said, reminiscing is storytelling at its greatest. A lot of us have like rich histories mm-hmm. that no one actually gets to see. It's not like our memories are taped down and people can watch them. So the best way is to actually get around with your family, with your friends, with young people, old people, and tell stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the best things that I think are uh, stories that, you know, from the past where you bring up your touch, your sense of smell, uh, taste. Involve all the senses. Exactly. So it's kind of like someone can tell you about their grandmother, mm-hmm. like they can remember walking down the downstairs on Christmas morning and smelling that cornbread in the air, or smelling the baked macaroni and cheese and feeling the itchy clothes that their mom made them wear. And yeah. it's kind of like when you pinpoint that moment, uh-huh. it kind of it's uh, how, what, how do I want to say this? It allows the person to know that they they have lived, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a big part of who we are. Definitely. Who we were actually helps who we are today. Definitely. And a lot of people don't don't actually, you know, look in the look to the past. You know, I think my daughter, she's six years old and she has this memory and it is, I know, when she's 90 years old, she's going to be talking about this and, and it's just going to be one of those ones that sticks with her. We have, we live in a very small town in Johnston County and you're allowed to drive your golf cart on the street if you have a permit and we, have, we do have a permit so you can check. We have a permit. And so I'm going to double check that. Well, we can check with the Secretary of State. <laughs> yeah, I don't right. know if she does permitting for golf carts but she's probably involved in that somehow. Uh, but, um, so we take our little golf cart and we drive it down the road and we go to the ice cream shop called Darlene's and we get an ice cream and we do this maybe once a month but to her she's always like maybe we can take the golf cart to go to Darlene's so I know when she's 80 that's an example of a story that she's going to tell her grandchildren and they're all going to think imagine a time when you could ride to a golf cart to to an ice cream store I don't even know if we're going to have stores anymore I think everything's just going to get shipped by Amazon probably but just think horse and buggy yes horse and buggy was the golf cart before the golf cart so yeah there's yeah so that's pretty cool 
cool. Definitely, definitely. And so, you know, I think too, you know, so that works really well, you know, try having a, an, an older adult draw upon memories of the past and retelling those. And it really, it's amazing how that can really engage small children too, because I think sometimes you, you feel like in a family that there's this huge gap between, you know, the older person and then the younger children. And I think that storytelling time is an awesome way to really, you know, make some memories for those younger kids and utilizing maybe some artifacts from the home yes. to tell that story. Yes. One thing that they, um, I did a little bit of research uh-huh. and reminiscing, um, great ways to kind of start the conversation is kind of have photo albums. Yes. If not photo albums, recipes. Mm-hmm. Even though you don't have to cook the recipes, if you just take them out, and for me, I have recipes that my grandmother actually sat down and she wrote. Yes, So it's me like too. I see mm-hmm. her handwriting. With the stains from yes, cooking yes, on them. And it's Close like, oh, best. I bet that's vanilla. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little brown, so I hope that's right, what it is. Right, right. <laughs> hope it is. But I feel like um, that, like, arts and crafts are definitely, like, have you ever heard of a shadow box? Yes. Um, that's where uh, it's a big box that you put things that are meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. And it kind of has a glass front so you can look at it and see all the things that kind of like self-validation, if you will, mm-hmm. um, to know that you live. And that works particularly well if you have a loved one who is a veteran. Yes. You know, having some of those medals or ribbons that they wore or photos of the time during during a war. And I think that's a great way to kind of open up a story to um, some of the past memories of that as well. Definitely. And I know this is supposed to be talking about senior care, but <laughs> um, there actually was a, I want to say a day where um, people recognize um, people that have miscarriages and things like mm-hmm. that. That's another way yep. to kind of reminisce about your child, even though, you know, yeah. they aren't alive. So shadow boxes, I feel like, do are way more for everybody. Than They're just particularly for se- meaningful. Yes. yes. So, and I think, too, you know, if let's talk a little bit about a person with a cognitive impairment, I, you know, and I think for those who are, are, are struggling with that or, or walking through that challenge with a loved one, um, in the beginning, it's very confusing because they can remember, it seems like, well, well, how can they remember something from 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 80 years ago, but they can't remember what they had for breakfast? And that gets to be a point yeah. of frustration for a family. So I think sometimes, you know, bringing up those photo albums and, you know, having pictures of people in the past, because a lot of times the people with dementia, as they sort of regress back in time as the um, disease affects various parts of the brain, they remember pictures of themselves as younger people. And so some of those memories just come flooding back. And they're able to point out, you know, various different people in their past. And one thing I always recommend that families do, I mean, we all walk around with these smartphones everywhere we go now. You can really record some of these stories, video record, audio record, and that could just be such a treasured keepsake for the future. Oh, yeah. Um, One thing that they do say about aging, you know, and as you age, you actually lose things that were you know a sense of self Mm -hmm. like your friends your family your house but through reminiscing you can kind of still keep them alive Mm -hmm. so I just always think like you may not have it may not be tangible Mm -hmm. but if it's in your mind and you can remember see pictures it's still always with you. And reminiscing is truly a part of what's more formally known as a life review process. So no matter who you are, as you get closer to the end of your life, even if you're in your 30s or 40s and you have a terminal diagnosis, people start going through a very 
clinical term of life review. And there's this desire to retell, relive stories, have closure. And so allowing, you know, being creative and giving that older adult an opportunity to share those stories is also helping them sort of foster that end of life experience and making that a very positive experience for them as well. Definitely. And as you say that, there is a, the owner of the International Institute for Life Review. Mm -hmm. And what he actually says, I'll paraphrase, is that um, a human's innate need is to be remembered Mm -hmm. and to do good. Yep. So if you can do those two things, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're validated as self. Yep. You are a person that has done you that, know, what they came here to that do. That made a mark, yes. for sure. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about the Enclave. You know, what, what exactly is it, and how do people find out more information if they want to get involved? Ooh, I like that question. I know <laughs> all the answers to that one. <laughs> well, um, the Enclave is a family care home. Okay. Uh, we will have three locations by the end of next year. Okay. Um, long story short, uh, my grandfather actually had Alzheimer's um, and my dad had made a home care agency. He became the franchisor. And 20 years later, he came to me and my brother and he asked, he's like, what do you want to do to change the idea of senior care? Mm-hmm. Because I've noticed with younger people, everybody knows you're getting old, but nobody really cares about getting old. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, why not a family care home? Mm-hmm. Why? Because we are so in tune with our family, for one. And two, we want to be able to give that sense of family and belonging and wanting to those seniors that don't actually have it. Uh, so one of the things that we are doing is specializing in dementia and Alzheimer's Great, care. great. Um, and like I said, uh, it's been a slow process, but our first home should open early 2019. Okay. And then the other two should um, subsequently follow after that. Awesome. So we're pretty excited. Yeah, well, congratulations. So if folks want to find out more information, take a tour, where do they go? Um, you can't take a tour because it's not built yet. But oh, you can definitely, <laughs> you can definitely uh, give me a call or email me. Okay. Uh, and you, we'll we'll put your email okay. address up. What's your phone number? My phone number is nine one nine nine four eight four eight five eight. Awesome. Excellent. That's 919-948-4858 to get a hold of Kaylin Piper with The Enclave. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. This was actually not as bad as I thought. (laughs) That should be the tagline of the show. This is not as bad as I thought. Not as bad as we thought. Because aging does matter. That's right. It does matter. We got to get out of here. We are out of time for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. It, It really means a lot to us, and we hope you'll do it again next Saturday at 7. It's Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest this evening is Jay Reinstein, and he is telling the story of his diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's. And Nicole, we have a lot more to discuss. I mean, we were just we talking do. during the break, and uh, I felt like we had... Uh, 10 more questions come up and we got to try and squeeze it into the next segment here. Definitely. Well, I think one of the things, you know, for folks that are listening who may have a loved one with an Alzheimer's or a dementia diagnosis, sometimes people wonder, 
what can I do to support? Do I dare ask how they're feeling? Do I dare, do I skirt around the topic? And I think sometimes people start to back away because they don't really know what to expect. What happens if the person forgets? What do I do to, what do I do to support them? And, and we were talking, you know, between breaks, how humor is important as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, uh, again, I'm an open book. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I self-disclose a lot, mm-hmm. so I'm always, if something's bothering me, I'll, I'll tell a story, share it, but I want people to pretty much just act the way they were, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you know, again, understanding the diagnosis, but also understanding that I want to be treated. I want to be known as Jay, right. who happens to have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I don't want that to be the primary focus of any conversation yeah but it's also okay to say how you feeling how are things right things been going I'm, I'm fine with that and i think most people would i don't want it to dominate the whole the, conversation absolutely kind of like not. today right <laughs> yeah yeah but, but i think let the person sort of yeah. lead if the person wants to talk about the person that's been diagnosed mm-hmm. sort of go with it if that's not something that they're, you know, focused on, I wouldn't focus on it either. So if, you know, you, f- you know that somebody's into sports or a particular team or what have you, you know, don't worry so much. Maybe they don't remember who won the last game, but it's still that's okay right. to talk about that's right. the love of the game or go Absol- to a sporting event together. And I think sometimes people just start to shy away, yeah. which then is extremely isolating for the person Absolutely. that has the disease. No matter what disease it is, frankly, cancer, you name it, yeah. all chronic conditions can be very isolating. Absolutely. I I think it's just a, a sense of normalcy. I mean, as much as you can, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to go to a state ECU game this Saturday. Uh, will I remember every play, every the score? <laughs> Probably not. I didn't before. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, but, now, Jason, on the other hand, he remembers everything yeah, about Oh, yeah. I've, I've got it written down <laughs> in my notebook here. <laughs> but, but again, I think it's, um, I think every person's going to want to be treated a little bit differently. But, but the, the key, in my opinion, would be uh, as much of a sense of normalcy Mm -hmm. and not having it dominate a conversation. Definitely. And I guess uh, since you're so willing to be an open book, I think a curiosity that people have is, you know, what does it actually feel like to be in that moment when you can't remember something? I know you've said sometimes embarrassed, but is there a sense of sort of panic or do you, is like a blank type feeling? What does it really feel like? All the above. I mean, it's angry, Mm -hmm. frustrated. Uh, embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it depends who I'm having the conversation with. When I'm having a one-on-one with one of my staff members, mm-hmm. not such a big deal. When I'm in a council meeting in front of the cameras doing a, you know, city council, I have an item and I just lose that train of thought. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've had to defer to one of my staff and say, Cindy, come on up and uh, mm-hmm. just provide that information. So there, there's a lot of feelings you go through. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I think there's a level of frustration because this is new to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have that in my earlier years. Really, it's just been the last couple of years, and I'm noticing it more and more. And people, when I announced it, then I had some people come up to me. And go, oh. Uh, and, and it's sort of like, oh, it makes sense. I, yeah. I remember um, uh, our human resources director coming up to me, and she says, uh, one of the things that I, I realized is that you had asked the same question about this upcoming training four different times over a period of two weeks. Mm. That, to me, was a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, um, I'm not embarrassed as much as I am frustrated and I get angry with myself. Yeah. I, I uh, So, anyway. Well, I appreciate the honesty yeah. in that answer. So, 
you talked a little bit about structure. Structure mm-hmm. is important. Yes. And we often hear about that, you know, when working with a person with cognitive decline, how mm-hmm. we really need to keep structure in their lives. What does that mean to you? Well, considering I came from a job where we worked 60 or 70 hours a week, and it was nonstop. <laughs> Every moment of your day was scheduled, I'm Every sure. moment of my day was scheduled. Now... Um, it's been really important to get certain things on my schedule every day. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to have lunch with a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm writing now, so I'm spending at least an hour in the morning writing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, trying to put in time for my walking, mm-hmm. little exercise, mm-hmm. time with my wife in the evening, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then just doing fun stuff. But I like to. I'm. I'm, I'm very much into an itinerary. Mm-hmm. So I use my calendar that I have on my uh, computer. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least plugging in two or three things a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't expect it to be full, but ultimately, I want to have that time for volunteering with Alzheimer's Association in there. I'm also going to be doing stuff for the Red Cross, which I have decided to volunteer for. So between those two things, writing and spending time with friends, hopefully I'll be pretty busy. That sounds great. Yeah. It's, and it's amazing to be able to give back in such a way. I oh, I that, want it. That's, that's what I want to I do. Think that's, I think that's definitely phenomenal. So one of the things that we often talk about on this show is the importance of preparing, planning for the future. Mm-hmm. So much in this entire society, we are so crisis-driven. We wait for a big disaster to happen, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's 52 pickup on the floor. And and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm just curious to know, you know, are you starting to plan for the future? Are you Have you had conversations about your advanced directive wishes with whoever your power of attorney is going to be? Have you thought about, you know, what happens if there's a time when you need physical care? What's that going to look like? Yes. You know, are you going to do that at home? Are you open to moving to a residential community? That sort of thing. Or are you leading that conversation and that charge within your family? Yes. I mean, we, uh, one of the things that we had been putting off for years as a will. Mm. And there was now a sense of urgency. <laughs> yeah. um, so we met with an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all of the uh, power of attorney. Yep. Everything has uh, been created. Uh, so now, and, and I'm also meeting with some financial planners. My father happens to be a CPA, so he's also, oh, that works. He's also helping us. Um, so at this point, I feel like I have stuff in place. I think there's still that... Uh, you know, concern from my wife, is she going to be okay in the future? And the answer is yes. From the financial perspective and all. She'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. So I know that you want to give back, and I know that you want to share your message to any type of civic group or organization that really needs to open their eyes to individuals who have early onset Alzheimer's or really just frankly hear what it's like to have an Alzheimer's diagnosis. So um, why don't you talk a little bit about that, what that looks like, and we can talk a little bit about how folks can get a hold of you yeah again i mean i think uh my purpose my focus will be uh on early onset support groups also speaking to organizations working with the alzheimer's association i want to do a lot of that mm-hmm. um uh and, and again it's it, for me it's about raising awareness and any possibility i can raise a lot of money there's no cure we need money for the research. We definitely do. And, you know, as the years go on, we're going to have more and more baby boomers that are going to be stricken with this yes. disease. And, you know, we're still not 100% sure why this is, why this is going on. Um, but it's something that I think almost every single family in this country is going to have to work with. So we all need to really get prepared for that for sure. 
Yeah, we most certainly do. Jay Reinstein, thank you so much for coming in this evening. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story, and uh, you're certainly someone worthy of admiration for your courage. Thank you so much for uh, having me here. Mm. Enjoyed it. And uh, folks want to get in touch with me, how will we uh, How will we do that? Folks can reach out to me if you want to shoot me an email, jkong, J-K-O-N-G, at curtismedia.com. I'd be happy to get you in contact with Jay. Again, email address jkong, J-K-O-N-G, at curtismedia.com. A quick break and back, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. <laughs> 